Romans 10.23 says this. This is the, uh, ampl- uh, the uh, message translation. Uh, look at it. Looking at it one way, you could say anything goes because of God's immense generosity and grace. We don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. But the point is not just to get by. The point is not just to get by. We want to live well. But our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. Christ came into the world so that when he comes into people's lives, they don't just get by. Life is not just about getting by. How are you going? Getting by? Surviving. God didn't design life to be survived but to be empowered to thrive. It says in John, in him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And so, as Christ followers, our desire is not just to thrive, it's not just to survive, uh, not just to survive, not just to get by, but to live well, and in the process also having a heart and a focus and an eye to be helping others live well. So in 2015, it's important that we're thinking, yes, we want to see ourselves get ahead and we want to see opportunities come. We want to see maybe our our career or our business or our our workplace, a promotion or get a pay increase or uh, some kind of opportunities uh, with other vocations coming into our world and we pray for that but it's important that we have one eye on that but another eye on how and who am I going to invest into in 2015 so that they might live well so that their dreams might start to be fulfilled so that their life can begin to change so that they can begin to live well wouldn't it be great in 2000 at the end of 2015 to look at someone that God put on your heart or, or, or in your world, whether it be in church or, or workplace or, or a neighborhood or whatever, and to say, you know, in 2015, I saw them move from that place to a better place because I prayed for them, because I looked for opportunities for them. I wasn't just focused on imp- improving my world and my life and my circumstances but to be looking to see that others might do well as well when jesus began his ministry when he came into the world he turned the religious world upside down because in the day the pharisees which the bible talks about were all about improving their own position and and although they wouldn't say it to their face, the people could see a hypocrisy in the message and the way of life. And as Christians, it is vital. Christ came into the world and said there should be no hypocrisy. There should be no differentiation between what you say and how you live. So if we're Christ followers, then it's vital that we are living for Christ and his way of life. And that means 
not just living for ourselves, but for others. Does that mean it's bad to prosper and get ahead? Absolutely not. We talked about it during the tithe message. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to get ahead, but not just so that you can say, aren't I awesome, aren't I amazing, aren't I great? Look at everything that I've got. But they go, you know what? I'm seeing God bring blessing into my world, into my life, and therefore I'm able to look outside of myself and how can I begin to make a difference in the lives of others, whether it's financially, whether it's with time, whether it's with um, prayer or, or a combination of things, but that we're not just living for ourselves. Um, Romans 12.2 in the Amplified says this. You've probably read this, heard it on numerous occasions. But in the Amplified, I love the Amplified version of Romans 12.2. It says this, Do not be conformed to this world or this age. And then it says in brackets, Fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. But be transformed, be changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. There is a kingdom attitude that Paul talks about here that comes from the Spirit of God. It is not of this world. And as we, as we did in worship, as we allow God's Spirit to come into our life, as we see His work upon our, our nature, on, upon our thinking, upon our attitudes upon our way of life then that begins to be transformed as we read his word it becomes alive it begins to change the way we think it begins to change the cell structure of our mind the the spirit of god comes in and begins to transform us um that we're a new species of being i've been reading this book lately i thought well, rereading it, I've read it a number, but uh, I read this great um, story. It's by a guy called John G. Lake. I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but he was like a healing evangelist at the turn of the century, and uh, turn of the 20th century, so 1900s, and um, had an incredible ministry in America, in uh, Chicago, I think it was. Um, but his ministry was so powerful and so impacting that that the state that he lived in was declared the healthiest state in america at the time that he had his healing centers there but anyway he was also a doctor uh studied medicine well he didn't actually finish his medicine degree anyway i won't go into the details he was studying medicine then he left to go and do other stuff in the ministry and whatever so he never actually finished it but he studied medicine anyway that's beside the point the point is in relation to what I was just talking about there, he says this, which I thought was just fascinating. He said, so he, he used to do a number of experiments because he believed that God's spirit, when it comes upon a person, has, te- has a tangible effect. And, um, and I think, um, who's the lady that's been preaching lately, talks about the mind and all that? Caroline Leaf. So it's a similar type of thinking. It's a similar type of understanding. But this is 100 years ago. And so he used to submit himself to experiments to see how the, the, the anointing, this presence of God would affect the human body. And so I was just reading from, from the, uh, his message called The Science of Healing. Anyway, he says this, uh, I submitted myself to an experiment. They attached to my head a powerful instrument that could take some kind of picture uh, one after another in order to see if, 
if possible, what the action of the brain cells would be when the when the presence of God came upon him, when the anointing came. So not just when he's standing there, but when the, the presence of God would fall on him. Then I repeated things that were... Uh, so then I repeated things that were soothing and calculated to reduce the action of the cortex cells to their lowest possible action. So in other words, he's just thinking peaceful thoughts. Then I went into the scriptures to the better and richer thing. So he's thinking about not much, just trying to be peaceful, just trying to be calm. Then he began to read the scriptures. Uh, then I went into the scriptures to the better and the richer things until I came to the first chapter of John. And as I began to recite that, and the fires of God began to burn in my heart. In other words, he started to get inspired by the scriptures. Presently, once again, the spirit of God came upon me. So God's anointing, the presence, the Holy Spirit fell on him. So not just the, not just the, the spirit you receive when you get saved, but there's, a, there's an anointing, there's a presence that comes on you to do certain things, to minister in certain ways that the Bible talks about. Anyway, I won't go into all that right now. Anyway, he says, Presently, once again, the Spirit of God came upon me, and the man who was at my back touched me. It was a signal to keep that poise until one after another could look through the instrument. And finally, when I let go and the Spirit subsided, they said, Why, man, we cannot understand this thing, but the cortex cells extended so that we can hardly imagine it possible to the human brain. Oh, I tell you, when, when you pray, something is happening to you. It's not a myth. It is the action of God. It is scientific that the Almighty God comes into the soul, takes possession of the brain, lives in the cortex cells. And when you will or wish, either consciously or unconsciously, the fire of God, the power of God, that life of God, that nature of God throbs through your nerves, down through your person, into every cell of your being, into every area, every rich inch of your being and they become alive to God. Isn't it amazing when God's presence comes upon you, something happens. It's not just, Christianity is not just a moral code of life. It's not just doing good things. Christ comes in to your life and you begin to change. When we pray, when, we were, when that presence came into the worship service this morning, when you could feel God's anointing come, something is happening at that moment in your heart. That's why, I don't know, you know, when you leave church, it's not too often I leave church feeling worse than when I walked in. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you walk out and, and I find that I feel more encouraged. I feel like, Things are going to work out. That's not just positive reinforcement. That's, that's God's presence that comes upon us, enabling us to live, enabling us to believe, enabling us to do what God's called us to do. It is the power of God's Spirit. That's why worship is so, so important. It's not just a matter of singing songs. It's an engagement where God's Spirit comes and begins to fill us afresh, begins to remind us of promises, begins to encourage our heart if we're discouraged, begins to break down fear or anxiety about the future or about a relationship or about a job or about anything that's going on in the world. 
In the second century, a Roman writer by the name of Aristides told the uh, Emperor Hadrian about the distinctive lifestyle of the Christians of his day. So Christianity began to spread. It was spreading all throughout the Roman Empire. This is prior to Nero, who then began to kill all the Christians. But um, he commented on their integrity and morality. Actually, no, this is after... This is, this is after. But anyway, he commented on their integrity and their morality. But the final sentence of his letter says, this is Aristides, who was a, a writer, a Roman writer, a nobleman in the day, had the ear of the emperor of the day, Hadrian. And he says this, talking about the Christians of his day. Truly, this is a new people. And there is something divine in them. There is something divine in them. Christ comes into our life where we're born again and we begin to be changed. We begin to live our lives in a different kind of way. We're no longer living for the same things that we used to live for. It's not that we're necessarily changing jobs, not just necessarily that we're giving up our jobs, going living in a commune somewhere. That's not what the Bible talks about, but it talks about the things that we do are motivated by a different kind of spirit. God's spirit comes into us and begins to direct us and lead us in different kind of ways. Just as Rosh was sharing there, you know, when God began to speak to him about tithing, when you know he's going through a hard time, began to speak to him about areas of obedience, areas where not just about finances, but there's sometimes there's things in our world. Some of them are sin. Some of them are not necessarily sin, but they're not helpful. They're not, they're not good for us. And the Holy Spirit will come and begin to, begin to talk to us about letting certain things go, changing certain behaviors, changing certain attitudes. It might be about anger. You know, maybe your person gets angry all the time and God comes and says, I want you to stop doing that. I want you to stop reacting out of that pressure in, into anger. I want, you to, I want you to begin to, to trust me. Or it could be in an area of fear, you know, you're anxious all the time and and God begins to say I want you to stop living in anxiety I want you to begin to move into faith and trust it could be in finances it could be in a number of different areas and God begins to to put the spotlight on different areas of our life has anyone ever had the spotlight put on an area of your heart an area of your life in regards to God saying now I want you to begin to I want you to begin to change this area of your life And that's God beginning to shape us and change us into the image of Jesus Christ. And as we begin to align our attitudes, as we begin to align our life, as we begin to align our direction in line with God's Word and His calling and His purpose, then we get God's anointing beginning to come and open up doors in our world and in our future. That's the way it works. It's not just about saying, oh, I'm a Christian, therefore, you know, God's blessing is going to pour out all all over my life. There is general blessing that comes from being in Christ, protection and God's grace upon our lives. But then he begins to say, I'm, I'm going to move in accordance with your obedience. I'm going to move in accordance with you aligning yourself with the things that I'm talking to you about. And it might be different to somebody else. And God's doing something in someone else's life and you go, what about them? Has anyone ever been guilty of that? Why are you you giving me such a hard time? What about that person? In fact, Peter, if you read the Gospels, Peter did that at the end when Jesus was about to go to heaven. 
And Jesus is saying to Peter, the Bible says, it's telling him about the death he's going he's gonna to have. And it's talking about, you know, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And uh, you're going to live a long life, but, you know, you're going to be martyred, basically, is what he's saying at some point. And Peter's there and he goes, oh, what about him? Talking about the Apostle John. <laughs> what's going to happen to him? I feel a lot better about me. And what's going to happen to me if I know he's going to suffer? <laughs> he goes, don't worry about him. You just worry about yourself. And so, it's no point looking at what God's doing in other people's lives and whether they're being blessed or not blessed and saying, well, you know, why isn't that happening to me? All we can do is look at what God's speaking to us about and begin to align our heart and our word and our calling and what God's doing in our life right now and live as best as we can in accordance with what God's asking and calling us to do right here, right now. And as we do that, things begin to change. I want to look at, uh, we'll see how many we get. I've got five here, but I don't want to to go too long. I've got five minutes. I want to finish by 11.30. But here's a couple of kingdom attitudes. Number one, kingdom people are can-do people. Everyone say can-do. God is a can-do kind of God. If you read through the scriptures, you see over and over again promises and encouragements to to believe God. Matthew 19, 26, with God all things are possible. Mark 9, 23, everything is possible for him who believes. 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so... God's spirit moves through an attitude of this can work. If we find ourselves constantly going to the negative, constantly going to the, oh, that can't happen, that's not going to happen, that's not going to work, then we're going to limit God's spirit and power to move through us, through our circumstances to see change. Does that mean you've just got to say yes to everything? No, God's also given us wisdom. He's also given us you know, a brain, but, but sometimes... And he's put people around us in the church that can lead us and encourage us, leaders and whatever, about the decisions that we're making. But, but the kingdom is a kingdom of faith. The kingdom is a kingdom of believing God, of stepping out. That is the kind of kingdom that it is. And if we're afraid to step out, if we never step out, if we never step out of the boat, if we never come out of our comfort zone, then we're never going to see God's spirit and power and miraculous working in our lives. It's not going to happen. It happens when we feel God calling us to do something, to, to change an area of our, of our heart where, it's, where we're resistant and, and we step out and God begins to move and we see him faithful. Can do. The kingdom is a can do kingdom. Number two. Kingdom people are thankful people. The Bible tells us that the last days will be marked with thanklessness and ingratitude. 2 Timothy 3.2 The last days will be characterized by thanklessness and ingratitude. The kingdom is a kingdom of thankfulness and gratitude. William Shakespeare that said uh, in in his play, As You Like It, um, blow, blow, thou winter wind, thou art not so unkind as man's ingratitude. 
isn't it horrible? I know we're all Christians, but when you you know you go out of your way to help someone or you do something, you think, oh, they're really going to appreciate this. Oh, I just want to bless them. And yeah, sometimes you're not looking for it, but when when they when when that's taken for granted, you're like, oh yeah, whatever. Doesn't that great? Where you go out of your way to do something and they're like, oh yeah, thanks. Or maybe they don't even say thanks. They go, oh, like there's an expectation that you should have done that. It's a horrible feeling. And so I oftentimes I think about, you know, when uh, God is constantly doing stuff for us, how he must feel when we never show thankfulness or gratitude. And the Bible says that he's constantly doing stuff, even things that we're not aware of, protection and things going on. And that's why it's important that we don't get an attitude of, you know, oh, woe is me. Things never work out for me. Life sucks all the time. Um, but that we, that we, and it's okay to say that sometimes and, and be honest with God, but if that's, if that's our general demeanor, if, that, if we're characterized by that kind of attitude, if people said, oh, what's that person like? Oh, they're a whinger. Stop it. In Jesus' name, don't be a whinger. Be someone who's thankful and who's grateful. Um, number two. Number three, kingdom people are joyful people. 69 times in the New Testament, we find the word rejoice. Mother Teresa was asked, what were the requirements for working with her in Calcutta amongst the poorest people in the world? And she said two things the desire to work hard, and a joyful attitude. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? Not like, oh, a heart for God. A heart to want to do something incredible. The heart to help poor people. No, because all that stuff disappears after a while. (laughs) All that, all those lovely feelings, all those well-meant Um, thoughts when it comes down to the day in day out of wanting to help people trying to help people wanting to make a difference just just having a good idea or or a nice it'd be a nice thing to do is not going to cut it wouldn't that be nice no the desire to work hard and I believe this 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 is clear in, in doing anything for God whether it's in business, whether it's in the church, any kind of ministry, any kind of place where you're serving God, you've got to work hard, but you've got to have a joyful attitude. You've got to be like, you know what? Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sometimes it might be through gritted teeth. (laughs) I am rejoicing. (laughs) So, and over and over again, the Bible talks about rejoicing, just, just, just being a happy person. And number five, the kingdom, kingdom people place a high value on people. Looking out for people, caring for people, understanding that the kingdom is a kingdom of community. 
Christianity is not just about believing. It is about belonging. It is about relationships. It is about connections. It is about doing life with people and the kingdom and God. God is a community God. He's a people God. He's a connection God. And so it's important that we're aware of that, that people are important to God. And therefore, if we say, oh, I love God, I love God with all my heart, but I hate people, (laughs) then we're missing something. Because God says, but I love the people. I'm for the people. And if you love me, then you'll love the people. Um, Gandhi, who wasn't a Christian, if you read his autobiography, but he had an interesting saying when it came to leadership. He cared that much about the people. And so one day someone was saying, you know, what's your leadership style? And he said, this is it. There goes my people. I must catch them because I am their leader. (laughs) There go my people. I must catch them for I am their leader. (laughs) In other words, his heart was to continue to gather and to set his people the Indian people, free of what he considered to be exploitation and and all the other stuff that was going on there. But he had a heart for people. He had a heart for those people. And he did incredible work there in setting the Indian people free in many ways. And so God is the same. That's the same message of the gospel. God said, there goes my people. I must catch them before because I am their leader. And you know, we go off in different ways and we stray and we get things in our head and, and, and he continually draws us back. He continually comes after us. And so kingdom people care about people. And if we want to do anything for God, then we need to be doing stuff for people because that's where God's heart is. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you, God.